The Dirty Bag Podcast is your virtual check-in spot to celebrate the highs, unpack the lows, and sort through the in-betweens of life. It's a place to laugh, cry, self-correct, and cut up. I'm your host, Cookie, and I'm in these grown folk trenches right along with you. Welcome to today's episode of the Dirty Bag Podcast. I'm your host, Cookie, and I'm playing catch up with one of my middle school, high school friends today. Somebody whose perspective I I thoroughly respect. Um, I love her fashion sense, her skincare line. I listen to her with really um, all things holistic, you know, just black women, greatness, everything. I just really been waiting to chop it up with her. So this is Naisha Malika B and I'm gonna let her tell you a little bit about herself. Okay. All right. Hey, hope everybody's doing well. I'm Naisha Malika B. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri and, you know, Ariella Cookie also went there. You know, we went to school together and I guess I grew up in like a kind of creative but we was in the hood type family. And so we was like used to being like pretty different, but like art and music and like science and even like holistic Afrocentrism. So we really stuck out like some sore thumbs you did. in school, especially once I hit the DSEC program in the sixth grade. It was really like, oh, you're not, everybody's looking at you like, what do you do? You do what at home? Your family is like, what kind of people are you all? So it was like, you know, I had some struggles because of course, you know, when you're in that young stage, you wanna be like everybody else, but you also wanna be like, I'm a, I'm my own person because you're that trying to grow up and never, get out of your family's house. That was never young. I don't know. Ever. And I wanted to start with that. So y'all, we were part of the the desegregation program in St. Mm-hmm. Louis. So if you don't know anything about that, it's basically uh, the dumbed down version, hood kids being bussed out to wealthy white school, school districts. So we had to get up an extra hour early in the morning um, to go on this long hour bus ride. So we're like the first ones at the bus stop, the last ones to get home. But I think that something that me and you have kind of revisited in snippets over the years is kind of the impact. Because I mean, you were different. So first of all, you was not only different, but she was in DSEG. So going back to it, what what do you feel as an adult now was your experience in the desegregation program? Even talk. Oh my God. If, <laughs> all right, let's just put it this way. I made sure that after I left, after I graduated, that I moved to a black city so that my kids mm-hmm. did not have to be in a 90% white school because of, I think, the racist trauma we had to deal with every day. We didn't talk. Well, I remember, like, right after school, I was like, oh yeah, we got such a great education. I still was hyped about the parkway and we had this and that and, you know, orchestra and cheerleading and but it was so much racism we had to deal with every single day. Yes. There, and you know what? Okay. I, we still cringe from it. We thought that everything was a win. And that's that's something that everybody bragged about is like you go to Parkway, so you're getting a good mm-hmm. education. And it was really right. great. and it's like, what was good? What did we really what was good about it that everybody made such a huge hype and looked at it as this privileged thing if your kid got to be in Parkway or if you were a Parkway kid? Like 
why do people consider Parkway such a good school? Was it academics or was it the proximity to wealthy whiteness? Like, what do you feel like it was? I think it probably was both. I think, but probably the, the proximity to wealthy whiteness was first because you got to go to school with the kids who got Hummers for their birthday, you know, for their birthday, 16. You know, I remember one girl, you know, she used to sit near me and she used to always brag about, oh, I'm getting my tan and I'm going to, you know, I'm light-skinned. She'd be like, I'm browner than you now. I'm going to be black. And I was like, what the hell up? You know, but she was like, that's what I'm getting for, you know, spring break present. I was like, who gets a spring break present? And I'm thinking you're going to go to Mexico. She's like, no, I'm getting new boobs. And she come back and I'm like, oh, well, Hello, is it who I think? I'm, like, I'm thinking it was somebody on my cheerleading squad that got new boots. I think you know who I'm talking about. I'm like, okay, she came back. I said, is it a C cup? Right. She was I like, yeah, I'm just, I couldn't do this anymore. And I'm like, wow, like I want that too. <laughs> That's not happening, you know? And I was like, okay, so you can just easily, because back then they really cost a lot of money. Right. It's like, to get your boobs done now but back then it was like hella expensive yeah they so, drove better teachers than they drove better cars than the teachers right right hummers and remember the durangos that came out we had yes. everything mercedes c-class bmws yes and it was like going to school um i used to tell my kids i went to a school like clueless you oh my god clueless? the yeah. whole setup that's exactly what it was it's that one hey, valley girl that type of thing <laughs> who was the token black girl in all the group it was one of the cheerleaders <laughs> i can't even remember her name but it, it was uh, kind of yeah. the coolest setup and you know what was crazy and like we i always revisit the fact that like me and jasmine and like latoya were some of the first yeah. good girls because there was a couple of token black girls and there was one before yeah. i believe um, maybe this mm-hmm. one, but when we made the dance in the cheerleading squad, it was like Obama's first term. It was such a it big was. deal. I remember being so hyped up and excited, like, oh my God, you know, because now I'm like, now our cheers have been to look so tight. No, we're going to look amazing out uh, there. You know, you got to have an extra no. soul. I was told that I was extra. What we learned when we got on the squad, and let me not, I ain't gonna throw nobody under the bus because I definitely love some of my teammates. And to this day, we kind of still cool. But yeah. we saw how we got ice. Like they were very cliquish. Like when we first went to cheerleading camp, we kind of stood off, me and Delilah stood off to the side looking dumb because wouldn't nobody let us spot. Like we learned real quick that even when you get in, you you see how much you don't belong. Because I definitely yeah. got talked to about how wild I danced on the Palm Squad. And it wasn't that it was wild, just like, Sis, I'm black. I got to ask. Right, right. Don't go dance. I have soul. But it was such a privilege. The fact that it was such a big deal for that representation just speaks volumes to what being in predominantly white spaces, especially when you're growing up in school, like we thought it was a big deal. Like I wanted to be like a lot of those girls early on. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, I didn't realize until I got older, like I would not want my daughter to go to Parkway. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> So that's mm-hmm. crazy. But like, and with you, you were always really different. First of all, y'all had the natural hair when what nobody. <laughs> you know, and the thing is not like I've never had a perm in my life. I think I probably had a relaxed, I'm 38 now. So I probably had a relaxed hair for maybe four years out of my life. You know, but my mom, she had had relaxers her whole life. So she was like, I'm not going to do that to my girls. I have bad experiences. Right. But when I was around nine, we tricked our aunt who was in beauty school and 
My mom went to the store and was like, yeah, she said we could get a perm. And she didn't know what she was doing. So she put super perms in our hair. Oh, my God. And not the super perms. My hair did okay. But my sister's hair was just, it was bad. So, you know, we was going to school. And then by the time you all met me at the DSA program, I was back to natural with a little bitty, you know, ends. I was growing it out. So I was just looking crazy. Right. <laughs> No, you know, it was like, okay, I'm trying to figure it out. All we knew was relaxers and all of us barely had, looking back, we didn't have no edges. All we had was brown gel mm-hmm. <laughs> and the microwave <laughs> ponytail, but we was trying right. to, I wish, we, stuff like that. I wish we'd have been taught about natural hair early on. I really, I think that would have just changed so much with us like being around these, you around these white girls all day with this long blonde hair. And especially when you are like dance teams and and cheerleading squads with them. And it definitely Mm -hmm. shapes how you feel like you're expected to look. Like it definitely played a role with a lot of stuff. They taught Mm -hmm. me how to do makeup. Girl, one of them had me putting on a light blue eyeliner to match the uniform. Girl, I had baby, remember them them dumbass baby (laughs) blue contacts? I don't remember that. I, that's, I was literally thinking, like, I remember you had like, it was like icy blue, and you had someone, and you had like a curly ponytail. Yeah, they know, you had that's or was that Delilah? No, it was me. Um, they the, okay. white, the white girls taught us about makeup. Like we mm-hmm. didn't know about like mascara and lash curlers. I didn't know they was wearing makeup. Mm-hmm. They, they was beating their faces early, but unfortunately right. they was teaching us how to wear makeup, but they were teaching it according to what they wore. So for years I was doing this icy blue eyeliner and I look back at them photos like, bruh, y'all did us so wrong. But when right. you made that move to Atlanta, which probably was the smartest thing you could have did. So you yeah. are in like Chocolate City, what are we calling it? Chocolate City. 2.0. <laughs> Chocolate City 2.0. Yeah. So how is Atlanta? How do you feel with everything that's going on? I guess because you're in Atlanta, you probably say it's always been that way. But we're talking about Black women, brown skinned girls, mm-hmm. the shift in what Black women are starting to explore. Hmm. I do see Black women exploring more of course with entrepreneurship big time down here there's a lot of businesses that are opening up that were in like male dominated industries we're opening up like tech hubs down here that are just black women founded i see educational like institutes i have a here she's kind of like an associate who opened up uh i think it's like a architecture institute for kids what and yeah she, you know, she, I think she works at Georgia State, but her and her husband were like, we're going to put together some kind of program. And it's founded, it's kind of um, geared at educating young minority students. And I was like, that is amazing. You know, there's just so many things popping up. And I would like to be a part of more, you know, if it's possible. <laughs> so I'm trying to make sure I'm doing a lot more networking with people because I have a lot of, I'm always have so many things in my head that I want to do. And I think I'm in the season where I believe I really can like I got to get stuff out I really want to do the stuff that I believe you know or that I dream of in my head and I think Atlanta for me I kind of feel like I'm a little over Atlanta though I'm gonna say do you get because people that have been in Atlanta for a while be like y'all don't come down here like (laughs) I'm not saying don't come down you you definitely people would enjoy it but it's starting to get to the gentrified part it's starting to get gentrified sorry starting to get gentrified pretty bad down here really and that's getting where you would have like these I would call it sacred black neighborhoods historic black neighborhoods and now it's like oh who's is that okay what's going on with those coffee shops popping up and they're not black owned and you start seeing mm-hmm. yoga places pop up and buildings being knocked down and you know then you hear about the, co- the police board complaints and 
you know, the culture of the city. We got uh, this part of town called the, the West Side and the West End. I'm sorry, the West End, but now white people are renaming it the West Side. And they even had the name to say it's the new West Side. You know, it's the safe part of the West Side. Oh, what the hell? Really? You know, it's the new West Side. And I mean, it's sad because it's like, oh, wow, it's, it's being expanded. The buildings are really beautiful. But of course, when I first moved into the West Side, things were like $170,000 for a really nice house. Yeah. Now it's like five hundred to $700,000 and Black people's homes and all the churches, they're literally being knocked down. So it's kind of like, happening to like what's going on or what started to go on in D.C. years ago. Yep. Because at one point, yeah, that's... That's crazy, but okay, so you got stuff going on. Act like we ain't been watching you create out in these streets. So can we start with the skincare? Y'all now, if y'all follow my stuff, y'all done seen me talk about this beauty bomb a couple of times. I think <laughs> I just finally ran out. So the skincare line. Okay, so um, I think it was like late 2016, I decided to focus on doing a skincare line. I had gone through like, you know, some really tough stuff in my life. And I wanted to put that energy and transform it into a project that involved me doing research and work. And as a little kid, I was always into science. Y'all call me a science geek. I think that's why I got picked on so much. But I was like, I'm into science and, you know, beauty products and nature and how to create these things. If I had enough time, I would have been a botanist in a third life, like they work with plant medicine and stuff. But I created a beauty product. I'm sorry, I created a skincare line that's like a holistic luxury line and it's focused on plant botanicals and essences for your skin. I don't really have a lot of chemicals in it, but I am going to be expanding, you know, to include some other stuff. But I wanted to just focus on holistic care, things that are like low in allergens, toxin low, just to kind of keep things simple on the face. Right. For people. And it's a project that I love, you know, and it kind of pays tribute to my family and the women in my family. They always did skincare. My grandmother did swore about olive oil on your face and vitamin E oil and, you know, just stuff that I've always seen. I wanted to make sure that I could keep that going. OK, I didn't know it was um, inspired by family, but that's dope because like that, she has really good skin. Y'all Y'all gonna have to go stalk her page. It's ridiculous. Like, do you even really put on foundation for real? I, I do actually, but I mean, I don't have nothing on right now. It's just regular face, but I, I do sometimes. I mean, I like foundation. I like makeup. Like even in high school, I like makeup, but. You, you would experiment with colors. That's one thing I do remember yeah. is you were not afraid to experiment with eyeshadows. When we was all just trying to figure out how to do lip liner and that 99 cent beauty supply lip gloss. I mean, that's where my stuff came from. Too. <laughs> that's exactly, or, or from, what was it? Ventures or Target or whatever. Didn't you? My first <laughs> mascara, I remember I bought in the seventh grade. It was like some cover girl. My mom was out of town. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get this one. She don't know. And it was like, I just want to do something. I don't have to have a whole face, but I like to, you know, shine a little bit. <laughs> but your skin is so healthy. Like, and I'm, I think that like these filters, I'm not knocking nobody that wears filters, y'all. Cause I wear them. Yeah, like, yeah. like it's just giving us this unrealistic expectation of what we should look like normally. So I think it's mm -hmm. for us to embrace our skin when we can really just pick up the phone and fix that shit in like a quick snap. Yeah. Like, but when you put that phone down, it'd be like, oh my God, it'd make you get a complex. It, a and anybody bit. that's saying, yeah, because I've done videos, you know, I always do raw videos or whatever, like in my stories, and I'd be mm -hmm. like, oh, ooh, we need to chill out. 
Right, because it'll have you like looking at because sometimes I feel like Snapchat is doing something weird where when it switches between it makes you look worse than you actually I'm not saying we look bad, but I'll be like, damn, I look worse mm-hmm. in real life as it's switching. Like, what happened to my face? And I'm like, I get on my camera, but no, I don't look like that. It's making it's messing with your mind a little bit. I'm not anti, I do filters all the time. Sometimes I'm like, you know, for fun, but it you know, it can kind of have you feeling like mm. Well, with the pandemic, I started slowing down. I'm like, first of all, we in the crib. So I think more on my skincare, like how about we just save some money? We don't know what's happening, but I'm just going to take some like long zoom. I will get, I'll I'll hurry up and throw Mm -hmm. some concealer on if I have to, but other than just like, let me just see if I can function without makeup. Cause I didn't trip off the importance of it until I start seeing these bags under these eyes. I start looking tired. One year old was like, you know, whooping my ass. So just, right, yeah. How you sleep depressed? <laughs> but we don't know what to put on our face because there's so many groups and gurus and all of that out here pushing certain products. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning that a lot of like influencers are being paid, so we don't know what's good and what ain't. And I felt like yeah. with the beauty bomb, I think I used that. I don't know if this is right, but I'm pretty sure my baby had a little diaper rash one day. I'm pretty sure I put some on there. I'm pretty positive it worked. So I was like, okay. I mean. It's- yeah, I mean, I just, I would study really hard to make that product and it definitely helps with inflammation. It can help with a lot of stuff from helping us calm your skin down, bug bites. I had a friend of mine put it, I'm not trying to like plug anything, but I had a friend of mine put it on her son. He had a really bad burn, a second degree burn from something. I think it was summertime. It might've been a firework or something. And she's like, I put it on his arm and it started healing and it did really good over a week. You know, it has a lot of really good, powerful oils in it, you know, stuff that I think in Africa and indigenous South America, just different things that people really use back in the day to really help heal. Of course, you can use yourself some Moderma or whatever's in the store, but I wanted to know kind of like what did our ancestors use? That's really why it's so important to me is to like really dive into something that maybe your body will respond better to. Do you feel like we're honoring our ancestors with the way we're living now, not just with the holistic and the facial products, but just stepping out and just being innovative and making a way out of nowhere. I think that's just been the theme of our history is making a way out of no way. And we've kind of redefined like what even black excellence looks like for us. Like people are really starting to walk in their own path. So with your projects and stuff, and like you said, you wanted to channel that energy, mm-hmm. like things that you were going through. So how much of our pain, I feel like our ancestors did things off the backs of their pain, they made shit happen. So how important is it to use your personal experiences to dive into things that you would love to do or push you? That's that's a really good question. I think, hmm, for me, I think it was a way of, it probably depends on what state you're in emotionally. Oh my God, I'm sorry for that sound. Oh it probably depends on what state that you're in emotionally and how you if it's something really really traumatic you might have to be careful with the trauma energy because that may not push you Mm. to if you got like a brainchild idea you may not approach it well because you really stuck in that trauma loop which I have definitely been you know I'm no stranger to trauma at all so hmm that's the real, I'm kind of getting stuck on that question for a second I want you to go back to what you just said though like if you're dealing with trauma you might not so I think that might be a point we don't want to miss. Like if you're dealing with, if you're, if you have untreated trauma, it sounds like that you might yeah. not pitch a project properly. Cause I always thought that like with artists, 
trauma is what creates what causes them to create but I'm learning that might not necessarily be correct yeah I mean it, it, it can push you to create but it can also I feel like it can stop some of your 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 artistic genius depending on like I said depending on the severity of it and I say that speaking from me having lots of different types of trauma which we're not going to get into but being widow is one of them and you know I was 25 I was real young and that kind of shut me down in a way where I put on a performance to you know I'm strong I'm the strong black mom I got my two kids I was really trying to be so strong for my husband who had given me you know these instructions last will type things like I want you to do this for my kids and for the people in my community because like, oh my god you're so young and you're this widow we really just want to believe in you give us hope what no I'm so serious you know and I, like I said I'm from a Muslim community so we really look at like different spiritual things happening to people like if you're young and you're widowed it's considered kind of like a sacred thing not saying that you can't have another relationship but you're kind of like for your test God is like really putting you he's favoring you but also you dealing with something at the same time I don't know if that's making sense that's when I first started reading your writing so mm-hmm. speaking of creativity I didn't know you could write your ass off Ooh, that that like Oh my god, I used to overshare. When I look back at how much I wrote no. during that time, I cringe. I was like, oh my god, girl, you wrote everything. You know? I would be like, you know, it's so dramatic. And like I'm going through this cathartic experience because I am a widow and it's so, you know, everything. It was just so flowery, but it was very real. It was healing. I was inspired by it. I think that was the first time I saw somebody that I knew actually channeling what they were going through. I think that's when I learned the importance of journaling. Cause mm-hmm. then I started doing it in 08. I never, I mean, I went to school for journalism, but yeah. you know, yeah. I always knew I would get quote unquote, as I call it, stopped up, meaning you need to get something out on paper. And mm-hmm. when you did that, I was like, damn, this girl is like, what, when the fuck did she? Oh, okay. So you was hiding your pen for a minute. So I mean, you know, I like writing a lot. Like I was, really into I used to write stories when I was a little kid like my mom I guess she was real big on like us doing things to stay busy so you know she had five kids please stay busy do something so you're not just sitting here tearing up the damn house she was nice you go write a book you go do something else you go so I was always like whatever I dreamed I could do I would sit there and write it I said I was going to win a Grammy I don't think that's ever going to happen but who knows me and Samaya sat there and wrote, we wrote our Grammy speech when we were like five and seven. We're going to be on the award show. And, you know, I wrote because we love watching awards. And I'm like, I'm going to be a singer. I doubt that's going to happen. But I mean, I can sing. But, you know, it sounds like it was like always right. Give the world what they need because it sounds like you got some stuff people need and you playing games <laughs> outside of what we already know. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm just trying to, at this point, I feel like I find myself trying to go back to what I wanted to do as a child, honestly. And you know how you can get, let life push you in different paths and then you're looking for different career paths or what's best for me or what's best, what's the most profitable in my city, you know, in my industry for my age group. There are so many things that I love to do as a child and I find myself really just diving back in trying to pursue those like writing. I want to put out a book this year. And I, why haven't I put out a freaking book? For me, that was part of trauma and fear. I have books written in my Google Drive that just need editing. 
and just go. So it's time. Now you're getting held accountable because I've been saying the same thing. I got all these damn journals and I'm like, just put the thoughts, make the thoughts make sense and drop yeah. them. We're already giving that information out anyways. But to what you just said about, because we just, we recorded an episode the other day about building your own table. And one of the things yeah. that I brought up was like, we're told to have this path and we're young. Like our parents, our families didn't know any better. It was get a good job. Mm-hmm. But at what point, right. I think that a lot of us are starting to try to go back to what is it that you always wanted to do? Right. Not, not what you need to do, but what, what brought you joy as a young person? Because I feel like when you don't fulfill those things, they haunt you. I don't think you can ever run away from the things you're supposed to do or career-wise or create. I don't think it works. It will follow you. I didn't know, you know. before. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes people, you know, like you said, people just tell you, all oh, this is what you want to do. You're just going to stick to, get you the job, you know, live your life and just keep it moving. But the industries change so much. This is not like our grandparents' time where you stay at a job for 40 years. People bounce around all the time. And so with that, I think it gives us millennials and whoever's underneath us, we have an opportunity to kind of change and say, you know what, I don't want to do that. And I'm not going to take this type of work culture. I'm not going to only do, you know, what I went to school for. Maybe I want to pursue something else. Right. And we don't want to code switch no more. Right, right, right. Lord knows Parkway had you learning the art. And I already spoke a little proper anyway. So it was like extra. Oh my God, how is everybody doing? Are you well? Yeah, I'm fine. Girl, what's going on? How you doing? And just have to totally switch back and forth. And then you let a white child, what you speak ghetto? Oh my God, you're so hood. Yeah. And that's really how it would come out. And I'm like, I'm offended. You what you what? Because right. it don't sound right coming from them. You know, they're doing that to insult you. It, it, but the thing is, and now they try to speak like us. I say that my code switch also oh. has a glitch, just like my baptism and everything. It's got a glitch. It's yeah. a glitch. It comes up sometimes. I think I found this middle ground because you were smart. You left and went to Atlanta. My ass went to college in freaking Joplin ass, Missouri. So we talking backwood hick. So I'm that the only. This four hours, four hours south of St. Louis. So it's an hour Greenfield. But I mean, I was on the newspaper in college. I was on the editorial staff. Yeah. Girl, at one point it was two of us, but then I was the only black girl. And then when I got my first job in Joplin, only black girl. So it's just like, I've always went through that only. Yeah. But you being, but you know, you being held to a certain standard and being forced to feel like, you know, all right, you got to present yourself this way in front of them, which I talk about all the time, but that code, Ooh, that's the most annoying, especially when somebody need to be cussed out. (laughs) Right. You have to just sit there and be collect extremely professional and just look like why you in your head just saying what I really want to say to you is. What I really want. So what is like your, I, I think I talk a lot about my horrible corporate experiences being a black woman. What do you think has probably been like one of your moments where you were like, man, listen. Uh-uh. You know what? I moved down here. Honestly, I moved down here right early on. So the only corporate experiences that I have that did, because there's so many Black people down here, so many minorities down here. Mm-hmm. So the only corporate experiences I had were when I was still in St. Louis and I was going to St. Louis University and I was working in my work-study job. And mm-hmm. I got a good work-study job that paid $8. And I was like, whoa, eight, you know, $8 back in 2001 was amazing. 
And we, I worked right across the street from the Galleria at the core ECG lab or something. And, you know, we had the inner medical data and all this stuff. And I think it might, I was the third black girl there. Everybody else was white. And they definitely, while they treated like some of the older black women there better, anybody who was young and new, you had to go through the ringer, you know? And it was, it was really, it was, it was horrible. I remember like feeling like I wanted to cry a lot and maybe it's because I was young. I'm like, I'm trying to keep up and, you know, because I was doing a job that maybe people who were like 28, 27 and 30 should have did. It was for like the med school research lab or something like that. But March, March. Now here I'm surrounded by so many black people. It's kind of like, I don't really, I don't really interact with them. Not to say it like that, but I really don't have with you masters. Yeah, maybe like a lot more South, South Asians or people like that I may encounter. And I've definitely dealt with some microaggressions within that community, but. Right. That's yeah, I know that sounds weird, but. It's, that's the, I guess that's the benefit of being in a city where there's a lot more Black people. Yes, I just, I feel like I just messed up. I think that y'all be careful about what college you let your kids go to. It typically shapes their future. If they go to school in a predominantly white small town, small university, they might get their first start into whatever career or job in that city. Sometimes that, because I was stuck for a minute, but I just remember the microaggressions as far as like with customers talking to me any kind of way somebody asked the manager bitch I am the manager so right so it's like let me speak to your in the sexual harassment too the funny thing is working in those spaces white men bold as hell they will be racist but when I tell you they want to try out some melanin and the way they think it's okay to talk to you like Mm -hmm. I had some wild wild, wild experiences with like being the only black girl in a lot of corporate spaces. And I think that's a trauma that we don't, I don't think, I don't think we acknowledge that as traumatic. We need to pay attention to it because it's, it's, it impacts you in a different type of way. Like you'll have this spirit about you where either you kind of like on edge, you know, or you are like, I don't want to say suspicious, but you kind of like waiting for somebody else to kind of fuck up essentially. Like, I know you're going to say some crazy stuff to me. So let me go ahead and just approach you or deal with you in the way that, you know, prevents it from happening or I can like gauge and deal with it accordingly. Right. I started calling in black in 2018. I mean, that ain't what I called it. Listen, y- those of y'all that have therapists, if you got the right one, she might hook you up. You got a little trauma going on. You might need some days off, some mental health days. Like there's things out there, guys. I didn't know this until I told her my story and she was looking at me like, um, so this is what I'm going to need you to do because I need you to be able to not go in there when you mentally can't go in there. And that was the first mm-hmm. time I even knew that was an option. I'm like, you mean to tell wow. me I can take days to myself because of my trauma and you can make that happen for me? I yeah, was going to therapy days. years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe it's also that a lot of times I know black community is getting starting to become really big and more accepting of therapy. But you know, when we was growing up, ain't nothing wrong with you. You that's know, that's that's what it was said. It's, ain't nothing wrong with you. You ain't crazy or you are crazy. You just a little special or you just a little touch. <laughs> you know all those little things that we said. You just, he, ain't, he ain't act, he ain't, he ain't right today. She ain't she ain't got it all. Whatever, but nobody really addressed how to heal. Nobody ever talked about that. 
I think our families didn't heal either. Like it wasn't, I think it was like my senior year in college. I realized that like, I never saw a lot of grieving growing up. Like when, like black women wasn't allowed to show emotions. So I mean, the women yeah. in my family showed an emotion, but it was kind of like, you going to get your ass whooped type deal. There was never, yeah. I'm broken. I can't handle this. So with me, mm -hmm. I lost my mom at 14. I don't think I dealt with that grief until my senior year of college. That's a long yeah. time. Like I just, I just strong girl my way through it because we were in eighth grade. The next day, I actually came to school. <laughs> like you know what I remember? I didn't know you very well then because I was new to Parkway, but I remember everybody telling me, and I was just like, I think I had some tears for you, but I was like, I'm not gonna go up and be like, you know, go hug her. She can be like, who the hell are you? You know, I don't even know you, but I was like, oh my yeah. god, I love that. Why is she at school? And you know. I, I felt very, very empathetic. I wanted to be, I remember I wanted to be around my friend. Like it was, everybody was at our house. But as yeah. I, my grandfather was like, you ain't got to go to school. And I was like, no, I'll go. Because to me, being around my friends would have been a distraction. But I remember going to um, home ec and I kind of, I guess I looked a little sad. And, and Denisha Billups was like, well, yeah. And I was like, what's wrong? And I told her and she dropped tears, but I was, I was stone faced. And I look mm -hmm. back like, how sad is that, that a 14-year-old couldn't grieve because that's just not what she saw around her. She just saw strength and the necessity to not, not be whiny, not be a baby, but just be strong. Yeah. All the time. I'm like, that, is, that was God awful. Because I really yeah. just, you know, and it's like, we got to be okay with letting Black kids and especially little Black girls like be human early on. Because I think it impacts us a lot as adults. And then we unpacking all this shit that we shouldn't be. Yes, yes. I keep like my children, I'm be honest, my kids are in therapy. They've been in just go on and off, you know, lost a dad early. You've gone through challenges and grief struggles and things like that. I'm like, hey, if we can get you healed or as healed from your trauma by the time you're out of my house, you'll be much better off than I was. You'll be much more <laughs> equipped to like deal with life far better than I ever would be. And I'm like, it's so important. I know you're like, oh my God, I got another appointment. I don't want to go. We just talk about nothing or yeah. you know how that can be. But I'm like, it's actually beneficial to you. Like if I could have had regular therapy at the age of 14 or 18, yes. trust me, I would have been in there. Do you remember Miss Edwards, the counselor? Yes, that was my mentor because she, she was your Yes, that was my counselor. Yes. She was mine too. I literally, you asked, but I did used to go to her. I guess that was like therapy. I would be like, I can't do it with school today. I need to schedule an appointment and just go in there and go talk. I didn't really think about it as therapy. No, she but. was everybody's because she talked. Well, first of all, she talked to you like she was your mother. But then she would yeah. get, because I used to just skip class and go in there because I just wasn't in the mood. But I could see the undertones of racism that she dealt with. Um, yes. Her and Miss um, um, Ely. So yes, that they would just kind of have chats about stuff. But yeah, she kind of was like our therapist. So freshman year of college, when I got the call that she had passed away oh at the funeral, because nobody told me, I was like hurt. I was so hurt. And somebody was like, well, you were pregnant. We didn't want to stress you out. No, y'all should have called me. But yeah. she, and that's why representation like Black educators is important because you're right. They do serve yeah. as, a, as your first therapist. Yes, yes. Like I remember going there when... Um, Remember Denisha Foster's cousin, Natalie Foster, she passed away. I think she that was in a couple yes. of my classes and she passed away. Everybody was really sad. That's and just trying to just talk out the grief from 
we used to say our school was cursed because somebody died every single year. We lost classmates. Oh my God, we got a cursed school because you know like somebody always passed away and it would like have the whole school just shook up. Yeah. All over. We had at least five deaths, I want to say. Like it mm-hmm. was it was crazy. And we were 15, 16 yeah. years old, 15, 16, yeah. 17. So we weren't taught how to, and then, I mean our family's like, you know, well, you know, it like you know, it happens. Yeah. Not to mention living in St. Louis and just <laughs> What you, I was in Northside, I went from Walnut Park to Baden, listen. Right. Like gunshot is like music. (laughs) Exactly. We were so used to, like, I still, listen, okay, the trauma I hear in gunshots all the time. I could still jump on the floor. Okay. Let me hear something over here in College Park. I'll be like, oh my God, what's that? (laughs) Just because, you know, Look, we lived all over town, so we definitely, we moved a lot, so we were on the north side over there. I don't remember all the streets saying, because I've been gone for so like Claxton by, that, I don't remember uh, the highway, 70, yeah. everywhere. We were on the south side. Um, I think that was, I don't remember the name anymore. Sorry. But you know, we lived everywhere. We even lived in U-City, too. So. Yeah. I, I see, I would see, I see you as U-City. <laughs> Barely. I think I was in U-City from like kindergarten to second third grade second grade and then everywhere else it was just the south side and then we moved to the north side and we stayed there for a long time and just kind of went we were by Shaw Park too that was probably like the better that's nice better neighborhood. folks love Shaw neighborhood they really yeah do. we was over there so then that's that explains okay so then you just a well a diverse St. Louis in any way then since you live in all these doggone areas. So I think that helped a lot seeing perspective on life, but all I knew was, you know, little gang members and dudes that like them was my homeboys and we played tag together, but they didn't mm-hmm. make it out. Like these were good boys, good kids and good girls that yeah. got caught up. Is, and I think it, it is it. Maybe like I said, it always depends on the level of trauma that you have been through and the level of, you know, the intensity or whatever's bringing you to get to therapy it could be easier. Like, oh my God, I think I, I really do do that. I do have a panic attack. Well, I do have, you know, anxiety or I do get really angry. It could be that I cry, whatever it is, but sometimes it still depends on how traumatized you are that you kind of like release and are willing to go, you know? The self-work is, so I was, and I'm asking you that because I know most people would just automatically say yes. And I actually don't just say yes. What I figured out is when you kind of start unpacking some shit and you realize the level mm-hmm. of work and you become heightened to how you react to yeah. things, it makes it harder. Yeah. It's like, I know what it is. I'm still in this moment, but I got to figure out a way to push through. I think it's hard as hell. And it makes it hard it to is. deal with people because explaining to somebody that don't care about therapy or don't believe in it, what you're dealing with, I think it's hard when they mm-hmm. don't accept it or they think you're being extra. Right. Or you trying to be, you know, like, oh, that's for what I remember just hearing therapies for white folks, you know, a lot, yeah. you know, like at least from like my grandmother, I think my mother was more open to it or whatever. But I remember my grandma, what, why would you want to go do that? We all do that stuff. That's what white people stuff. And it's like, but all the stuff that you done went through, why don't you want to heal from that? You know, and I can even see that from within my own grandparent that she has trauma loops and, you know, that just because there was no access or no insight on you can heal from whatever happened, working in the cotton field. If I call her and I talk to her today, she if let, let me talk about, oh, my knee hurts on accident. And she'll be like, you know what? When I was in the cotton fields, my knees froze to death and then locked up. She will go right back to that. And I will be in the cold shivering in that trauma with because it's still there. I'd be like, man, 
every time, <laughs> you know, and of course, you know, it's not just because she's getting old. It's, this has been the story all of life. She's like, my knees froze up and it was a sharecropper. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, do you catch yourself? Do you not do that at all? Because I think I'm guilty of some of what she did, though. But oh, I, I know I have certain things like, you know, that I could talk to my kids about. Like, I mean, I remember when this happened, my mother did this and, you know, trying to like recall. I'm like, nice, you got it. Why are you still talking about this? Right. That might be the next topic you talk about in therapy because you forgetting that one. <laughs> right. You know, Zana, like my daughter's name is Anna. She's like, Mom, you already told us that. We already know about that. I've heard that five times. Well, mine don't even be with my son necessarily. Mm-hmm. There's some of these young 20-somethings complaining about stuff and I really have oh, to catch yeah. myself. Like when somebody that doesn't have any kids mm-hmm. and that went to college and, you know, is really smart and well-spoken and got a bunch of degrees, yeah. complains about struggling, I have to really catch myself from not being judgmental. I'd be like, now, nah, first of all, you ain't got no kids. Honey, I was right. pregnant in college. I was pregnant. I gave birth. I had my research paper on my lap in the hospital after they gave me my epidural. I raised the right. baby. So, I mean, I, I definitely go there. So, I mean, I guess I'm kind of in the middle. I get it. We don't want, you know, the younger folks to go through stuff that we went through. But at the same time, it's like, but I'm not understanding how you're complaining about what you're complaining about. Right. That's almost like you want your, like, kind of like we want what we went through to still be, I don't know, to be meritable. Like, I went through all of this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I still want you to acknowledge, like, this was a struggle. This was difficult for me. Yes. What are you complaining about? But yeah. at the same time, you know how they say somebody else's pain or trauma is not cancel out somebody else's. So it's kind of like if you have to kind of get it, uh, used to hearing people complain about stuff because, you know, they're the new millennials and the little, what do they call them, Gen Z's or something like that? Well, Whatever they are. It's all jacked up. I don't even know no more. <laughs> they're smart as hell, but you they know, like, on my nerves. They, I might, like one day I was like, I mean, back in my day, we didn't have a cash app. I couldn't just get on here asking, saying that I had a bad day, and then all of a sudden, folks giving me money. Oh my God, that stuff kind of get on my nerves. Like, really? Yeah, I, you know, I need, I need twenty dollars because, wow, that would have been a lifesaver. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting here like, I, so I have to. So I'm like, I don't know if this makes me like an old grumpy woman, but some of this shit, bruh, I, I'm sorry, y'all. Stop, just cut it out. Yeah, we all got trauma, but you getting over. So is it? Yeah. <laughs> Is it is it trauma or are you just getting over? We needed to figure out that fine line. So like trying right. to, you know. This might be a coping mechanism. You know what I mean? Like a traumatic coping mechanism that just like, oh, let me just find a way to attach and get stuff. Yeah, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I don't, we just, and with this movement and things like that, which I mean, obviously part of it from the beginning, but I, you know, you drift away to deal with trauma that comes from yeah. it. I just look at like how we, how we protect blackness as far as a freedom aspect, like with us just doing whatever it is we want to do without respectability politics, without having to fit in a box. And I feel like you just do a good job of that because you've just always kind of been your own person. You know, I kind of have, but I think to some degree, I remember once we got towards like junior and senior year, they were putting like a lot of DSEG children. We went to, what was it like the upward bound, all of those different programs, the, the success program, the stuff that has to do with Harris Stowe College, like to kind of help mold you for the next level, you can get college credit or high school credit. And they were like doing like an, when I look back at it, it was like indoctrination. 
And, you know, I'm in there with probably some little twisters or whatever I have. I might have had box braids, I don't know, in the summer. But they were like, you know, and you can never go into a professional environment with your hair not straight. And I was like, my hair is like never straight. I got And I don't have a problem. I didn't have a problem wearing it straight. But I was like, I got to do this every day. Every day. Like every single day. She was like, yes. And if you have braids, that's ghetto and ratchet and trash. And this is a black woman telling us this and I remember starting to feel self-conscious and I was like there's no damn way like I'm gonna be able to deal with that <sighs> every day it comes from black you know and they're trying to just like to pretty much like I don't know I call the indoctrination basically and I get it it was their way of making sure we could survive in white corporate America but I'm like you are killing right. people's spirits you're killing whatever little bit of like oh I want to be a individual and shine a little bit in this deseg environment you're definitely making someone feel like you have to assimilate to whiteness yeah I remember what did my um mentor in college get on me about saying accent we were getting me prepared for like one of my first corporate interviews and I was talking to her and I said accent and when I tell you she yelled at me you would have thought that like I knocked them over she was like don't you say that don't you ever say that again but then she broke it down why she was like because those country white folks will eat you alive she was basically I mean she's white she was basically letting me know that when Mm -hmm. black folks say accent they look at us as stupid what is funny though is I went back y'all I'm a um I'm a master's program dropout. So I actually went back to college for my master of arts in teaching. Did I really want to teach? No, I just really wanted my loans forgiven. Different conversation though. But one of the the classes was the history of the English language. And as we're Mm -hmm. reading a chapter, I learned that accent is part of our dialect and it's okay. And the day I saw that in a book, I'm like, man, go to hell. First of all, I'm fine. That's part of me being So we just been, so much of who we are has been watered down to assimilate. But I think that now we're in a space where we really trying to explore who we are. Mm-hmm. Those that didn't grow up with super Afrocentric parents or anything like that. Cause some of y'all like, man, we've been woke. Congratulations, good for you. But we know that has not been the majority of us. Um, right, you don't need to raid that in people's faces. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. if that was, and I guess we were sort of kind of like that, but. I, we didn't used to be like, hey, and why aren't you like this? If I was at school and you didn't, you wanted to know how I did my hair, I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to be yeah. like, oh, my God, you have a perm. I wasn't one of them girls. It was plenty of people that could be snooty, but like, why be snooty? They want to get their perm out of their head? Sure. I'm going to tell you what to do. <laughs> no, for real. That's just literally you know? what it was. Yeah. Like, I just, yeah, just kind of one of them deals. But I'm just, where we are right now, I just, I'm loving seeing these braids on air these political yes. analysts. Um, yes. I, I feel like these were some of our wildest dreams is to just be able to be us mm-hmm. and just dropping the expectations of what, you know, black excellence or, you know, even black girl magic is supposed to, oh, and that's another thing. So like the founder, um, someone had made a comment one day and I guess she had to correct what black girl magic meant because so many people took it and slapped respectability on it. And what she was saying, you know, and as Kashan, she was just like, this is for the hood girl. This is for the woman that makes it way out of no way. Like this is for the magic is really in their ability to survive and make greatness happen and provide and do what they got to do in spite of. So even she had to correct people on like misusing that term and making it something that wasn't, you know, for the hood chick, for the least of these. Right. 
right? Because that can be, what is it? It ostracizes so many people. And it'll have you think, well, if I'm not a doctor, I'm not a dentist, lawyer, or I don't have any of those titles my damn self. Did I want to be a doctor as a kid? Yeah. Did I feel disappointed when I had my kids and I was like, oh, shit, I can't. I had to pivot. And right. so I had to fight with my old self and the dreams I set out for myself. I remember like, you know, postpartum depression, it hit you hard. I mean, like, Naisha, what did you do? You know, like you were supposed to be the top doctor and you know how you can have your whole little life planned out. Right. Written. And I think like you were supposed to be the top OBGYN that was black. You were going to be at John Hopkins. You were going to be in Baltimore. This is not the dream all the way. Yeah. You always want to be a mother, but this is not. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you, because deal with the different identities yeah. that you're going to work through, you know? And like, this is still excellence. I'm raising my children. I love my kids. I'm doing the, the family thing is also okay too. There's nothing wrong with that. That's whether you're a single family or married, whatever, it's nothing wrong with focusing on raising the next generation. So I'm just saying that for anybody who's feeling doubt about your parenting skills, keep working on them. That's beautiful too. We need parents to do a good job. I think that it's like, what is parenting? What does good parenting look like? And some people, I mean, everybody has their thoughts on it. Like, I think like what you said is just doing the best you can, but Mm -hmm. some people feel a type of way because they see parenting look a certain way and they wonder if they're doing a good job. I think the biggest thing I see is single mothers. And I don't say that because I am one, because look, I've been a mama, I'm 18 years in the game. I've been single, I've been in a relationship, been engaged, I've been, you know, but it's like Mm -hmm. knowing that you can map out the way life looks for you the way, you know, parenting looks for you, even the way love looks for you. Cause right, we right, can't fix right. that part yet. Folks still being ashy and telling mm-hmm. people what it means to be a good black woman and what that looks like for you to get picked. Yeah. That, that, like, it's, like you said, the respectability politics. And I think if maybe our children's generation will start to really unlearn that, you know, because our, some of us still stuck on that so hard. You know how we keep seeing those posts like the almost like what are like the Derrick Jackson type post and oh my god did you see what happened like, hold yes, up this yes. bruh it made me feel really like, I watched the interview I watched the the, the podcast the girl that kind of oh, brought the side chick on there and after, oh my gosh I didn't know it was that deep oh she baby that girl came with receipts so and I'm just sitting here like it, it, it kind of made me lose faith and stuff but it also made me feel like hey y'all better know who on deck Whatever you got going on in your little situation right now, I feel like y'all need to know what cat is on deck because these dudes ain't loyal. But yeah, he's always giving out advice and people just, you know, suck it up. And it's like, y'all be telling black women, especially how to be good women, but right, right. Are tra- I mean, yeah, you're not, you're not the ideal man, bro, at all. Like, what are you doing? Right. Like, you know, this is how you be the better woman and how you can keep your man faithful. Well, no. So what did your wife do wrong, sir? I keep you faithful, but you, sir. Okay. Right. So what did you your do. wife do wrong? Right. Tell yeah. us, man. <laughs> you got something to blame her for? But yeah, I think that like we we are like influenced by things like that, telling us what you know it's supposed to mm-hmm. look like. What we should be modeling ourselves. And what I learned in the past few years is just not in the past few years, but what I've really taken ownership of is do what the hell you want to do. Yeah. Like you don't need to wear a mask for nobody or present yourself to be a certain way. When you on your deathbed, you will regret not living life for yourself. Yes. And you know, that's 
that's important is to be authentically you. And I know a lot of us have a lot of unlearning to do. We've had a lot. Of, you can have a lot of fear. I've had fear, even though I know that I'm an artistic, creative type person. I know I have a lot of inner talents, maybe that I don't even show the world, but I'm not about to sit here and keep being scared to be fully me, you know? And I think it's important to just take the first step. Whatever you got to do, jump out there. Do a little bit at a time. Share with somebody who is close to you or that you know is going to support you. And if your family don't or whoever don't, don't worry about it. You still have to do something so you're proud of yourself. You know, you know what I mean? Like how when you feel proud of yourself, you know you can produce more of whatever, whether it's content or whatever it is that you're great at. You know, like I actually paint. And I used to paint when I first moved down here. I learned it in high, I guess that was Parkways, you know, great painting and all that stuff. The artist, I can't remember the art teacher's name for nothing. This is a, that's a painting of mine. I'm not that painting to brag at you. At all. Yeah, that's, that's a painting of mine. For real. She got her art in the shot. You can be I, not in, it's, just, it's just there. <laughs> you but like, that's nice. something I always wanted to do is to, I got a lot of creativity and I'm like, I just want to be able to. I don't know what you want to call it. Like, I used to call it a mistress of all trades, but that can make you confused because you try to do too many things when you create it. But I'm like, I, I don't want to die and not at least have dabbled heavily in the stuff that God gave me some kind of talent in. Right. So, because you just dropped a uh, a video a couple of weeks ago. YouTube, you know. So That's I'm doing... YouTube. YouTube, I think, what is it? YouTube at DJ Malika B, because I DJ, but it's just my Malika B channel or whatever. I probably do some music sets on there, but I love talking about fashion and, like I said, art, art, fashion, science. Those are like my big things. Art also encompasses writing because, you know, all of that stuff is creative. But I love talking about fashion, Black history, Black culture. And so I just wanted to make sure that I could discuss it while I, you know, show off some really cool clothing and art. And I feel like these are the things that like I wanted to express as part of my personality in high school, but on a, but I was shy and right. then I was bullied a lot. So it's like, people were like, what the hell? Why you got those pants on? I was like, people wear these in New York. And I might've had a little snooty comeback. Like you bullied me yesterday. Shut the hell up. Like you don't have nothing from New York. That was the only thing I had. I could say back. You was ahead like, of your fashion time. I remember. You got nothing. That was the only thing I could do besides like, I wasn't good with comebacks and stuff. <laughs> But, but you know, like I just wanted now. to do what was authentically me. And so by putting out that YouTube channel, I'm still working on it and I'm a little slow. We're trying to get all these videos I've been filming out. <laughs> God, I saw them dated back like in the February. I still got to get out. So oh wow. It's hard. It's hard trying to get them out, but I'm also getting a new camera soon. So I'm trying to upgrade it a little bit. Look, I said it's all professionals. Like, look at this. I want a video like that. She out here in the I didn't even know I can do that. Like the editing, I just got on iMovie and was like, cut a clip, cut a clip, cut a clip. For and real? It just turned out good. I'm for real. So what we're saying is that like you got way too many gifts to be keeping. But I mean, again, you're starting to operate them in them. So operate in them. So what would you tell folks? Like, because I mean, I think a lot of, uh, especially Black women, we'd be having all kind of little gifts. We put it on the back burner mm -hmm. to raise families, to have careers. Mm -hmm. Like, what would you tell somebody that's sitting on some gems? I would really tell you, don't sit on them. They're not going to hatch that way. Like, they're, and I know that works for chickens, but it don't work for chicks. For humans, it does not work for us. Some of your stuff will go stagnant and then it's going to eventually burst out. 
don't sit on your stuff. I have stuff that I regret sitting on. And maybe if I had a little bit more support or more courage in myself, or even like um, after I had my kids, I remember I still play violin. Like I'm a classically trained violinist from Parkway, thanks to Park and Rockwood too, Rockwood Middle School. Like if I wanted to be a damn violinist on stage with Jay-Z, I could have been that. And I used to want to do that, but I was like, no, you can't do that. Ain't nobody doing that. And I let negativity dull me down. You know, and I was also postpartum. So I was kind of like trying to just understand what my life was. But don't, if you can find the support, if you're feeling like I'm about to give away my talents, talk to somebody. Y'all have access to free therapy or somebody because I wish I could have done that. And that's, like I said, I'm going back to the stuff that I love. I'm literally about to buy me a violin tonight or tomorrow. Come on now. I'm not even kidding. Like I have my old violins. Like I used to play up until 2005. So I was like a new mom. I was still trying to play. And my son got so excited to see me. He was one and he plucked the whole strand. Everything fell off. He had real strong hands. These kids and I was postpartum. I cried. I was like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And you know. Yes. Of course it was not my child. But I was like, I felt so just done. And I didn't have enough support. And postpartum is real. We we don't discuss postpartum enough and the length of it and how people need to be more sensitive. I feel like after a woman has a a kid, she's at least 12 to 24 months, I feel. I feel like I'm just coming on the upswing. (laughs) I feel like I'm just coming on the upswing, like just coming Mm -hmm. out of the place of postpartum. She's what, 14 months? I forget something. She's one. But that's real. Like you, when you go up through that and your body is going through those motions and stuff, like you forget about what brings you joy. All you're trying to do is like mentally function. Right. And then talking to a little person all day long. I remember being like, can I talk to a grown up? No. I talk to you like this every single day. And I mean, I still talk to my son in bigger words so he could learn how to speak good. But I was like, I'm really, I need adult. That's so real, y'all. Interaction. Check in. A check in on your creative postpartum mommies. <laughs> right, right. Check in on people and just drop a line, Zoom, FaceTime, whatever you got to do. So you if folks know. are really trying to get into the projects you got going on, because you know we got to put them out there for the follows and so they can okay. get hit. <laughs> well, um, I forgot one more project. I can't leave that out because my mom and my sisters will be like, nice, how you do that? I also, and I noticed like, damn, what the hell is she also talking about? But also I co-own a fashion company with my mother and my sisters. It's called Shukuru Couture. That's my mom's name. And then you put Couture on the end of it. And my mother has been designing for like 30 something years or more. That's probably why we always looked different. People are like, oh, what you got on? She made stuff. My prom dress, she made that damn thing. I could have worn it to the Met Ball, but I was black. Miss Pumpkin said, you're the best dressed girl here. And I was like, wow. And then one of the little white girls won an award. I just knew I was going to win when Miss Pumpkin said I was going to win. And I didn't win. And went to a white girl. And I was like, oh, well, okay. This crystal is hand-stitched, but fuck you. (laughs) I'm being so mad. Like, I thought I had a chance. Miss Pumpkin said I could win. (laughs) Look. (laughs) I I said, you black girl. (laughs) Okay. I think that that type of rejection and stuff just 
I think at this point you look back at it like that was some bullshit, but it's like, you know what, at least better late than never, you know how dope you are. Right. Do y'all have right. a page yet? Or what are y'all working on? Like as far as designs with the company, like where are we? Okay. My bad. I got off track. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, yes, we do have a website. It's shukurucouture.com. S-H-U-K-U-R-U couture.com. We actually had a pretty good year once it hit like the second quarter in 2020. Normally, we design like clothing for all types of events, whether you go into the mayor's ball or you just want to be cute on a Saturday. We right. have everything and we design a lot of things. We design for all sizes, too. So we're very inclusive, whether you're petite or you're a 4X. My mother used to do a boutique in St. Louis that specialized in plus size. So it's not like, oh, y'all did. No, we design for everybody. But we pivoted to mass in the pandemic and we were about to put out a line and COVID hit and we couldn't go to the little studio we had in my sister's house, everything messed up during that time. So we had to pivot to masks. Masks actually was pretty successful, like really fancy masks, but they were still I safe. you because I want one. I saw a couple. Yeah, I'm going to send, send you some. Baby, that mask was fire. Like, yeah, I'm going to definitely send you some. Yes, we need them. Yeah, and then they got, I mean, it did pretty good. We got featured in Essence and like the Huff Post, and my mom was on the Tamron Hall show also for like a little bit the article but I, I didn't connect the two so yeah, now it was, it was pretty exciting it was exciting like oh my god like we went from making no sales you know because everything kind of stopped for a lot of businesses to suddenly once it was like probably about may it, we said we're making masks we're not making clothes we're making masks i'm gonna make them real fancy and it just started to pick up really really well and so we're planning on trying to get our, I think we're going to work on a fall line instead of spring right now, just to kind of dedicate that time. Right. Still get the masks out, but we want to get some clothes back on people. Skin, I guess you go to my other skincare business, beautybybalal.com, B-I-L-A-L. And that's also on Instagram. I'm at M-A-L-I-K-A-B on Instagram as well. Um, yes. You know, YouTube, you know, I, a lot of little things that I'm doing, but I'm, they're not little, they're big to me. I want to tell you a minute what I'm doing, you know, and I'm excited to be, that's your future me, honestly, because mm -hmm. I've always wanted to talk about this stuff, you know, how you can kind of diminish your own self. Thank you. I appreciate just being able to speak about this stuff. Cause I really, just, really I've always, I, I've always admired. I'm like, man, she just be over here doing her thing. Like she's just light for no reason. You know how some folks ain't even got to do shit. They just light. Like they post, it's just light. It's like you are just light for no reason. But you've always been that way, but you just be chilling. But I'm going to tell you on the journaling part, I would definitely say that was inspired in large part by you. And it even became my own prayer language over the years because I saw how raw you was. And it was so long ago, but it was just like, damn, I want to be able to be vulnerable like that. I want to be able to talk like that because people need it. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I always, I was hoping that you would touch on it. I was like, I don't know if she's going to speak about it or not, but that was definitely a pivotal moment for me as somebody that neglected writing, knowing damn well, that's something I wanted to do, but through mm -hmm. your process, it's like, we need to do it. We can't afford not to sometimes. You can't write your story, tell your story, even if it's on your phone, write your little notes, use your thumb, whatever, you know, get your pen out, tell your story. Somebody needs to hear it. I'm still, you know, inspired by so many people all the time. So just keep writing, type yeah. in whatever it is. I try to write like a, a half a poem or just something all the time. Just a little bit of something, you know? Yes. And there's healing with it. So it's okay. But y'all, um, 
I definitely need y'all to follow and keep up with her. I just need y'all to see her skin. So y'all can see what I was talking about with the beauty bomb. I need y'all to see the skin is freaking ridiculous. And I'm definitely looking forward to all the projects you got coming that will come to fruition by December 31st. So. <laughs> all right. She holding me accountable. I, yeah, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do <laughs> At this point, look, the people need it. That, that's just what it's going to be. So yes, yes, this is all about just us catching up. Just, you know, Black girls, we always so busy. We always got so much going on that we don't always have time to just kind of chat and unwind. So we're always going to be doing that here. And I'm always rocking for my Black women creatives because I feel like we just keep this ship moving. Like it's, it's healing to us in times mm -hmm. like these. So... I'm going to thank the, the good sis for coming on today, Naisha. Such a blessing. And I can't believe we are talking about freaking high school. <laughs> yes. It's healing for me in we, so many ways. Just to vocalize some of the things, you know, maybe we should do this again and really talk about how you said what? You know, we're really going to, I'll be trying to like ease y'all in the shit with some of these episodes, but please understand 90% of it, we're circling back around to, especially as it pertains to creativity, because I think that's the thing that's really giving us freedom. So I want to thank you guys for tuning in today. Again, we are still in a pandemic. Please wear a mask. Mm -hmm. Wash your hands, socially distance, and take your time because you got one too to clean out your dirty bag. Thank you. Darling, there's only one God. We're darling.